this week's World of CONCACAF podcast. We've got our destinations for this summer's Gold Cup and Nations League finals. And our destination for CONCACAF laser focus is Curaçao. Welcome to another edition of the World of CONCACAF podcast. I am Eric Schmitz. And I'm Jonathan Sleep. And I'm Donald Wine. And we're here to talk about CONCACAF. Uh, we've got a lot to get to today. Uh, first, before we get to the soccer, uh, we do want to talk about uh, one of our member nations. Uh, you may have seen on the news that our friends down in St. Vincent have been dealing with uh, some terrible, terrible conditions. Uh, La Soufriere, the volcano on St. Vincent, has been erupting for a few weeks now. The island's being evacuated. A lot of people displaced. This looks like a situation that may not be resolving itself anytime soon. And we just want to take a moment to tell all our friends down uh, in Vinci that we're thinking about them. And if you guys can help in any way, uh, the people of St. Vincent, uh, we encourage you to do that. Yeah, it's a terrible situation um, with the volcano. And, you know, being on an island, it's very difficult to get around and get out of situations like that. So uh, I know, you know, it's unfortunate that they have to go through it. And really just given COVID climate, I know it's difficult for other nations and all the other politics that we'll leave aside for another day. But really uh, we send all our wish, all, all our well wishes to St. Vincent and the Grenadines because uh, they're one of our favorite islands in the Caribbean and we definitely enjoy going down there. So uh, we hope to visit soon. We hope to help in any way we can and stay up guys. God bless. St. Vincent is near and dear to our heart. Uh, we look forward to getting back there as soon as we possibly can. Uh, moving on to the news of the day, CONCACAF Newswire. Big news in El Salvador. Hugo Perez, uh, the former U.S. national team uh, player, has been hired as the new coach for the El Salvador men's national team. He is replacing uh, Carlos De Los Cobos, who uh, left the position two days ago. And Perez now takes over uh, as the team c- tries to qualify for the uh World Cup uh, in 2022. Uh, Perez was previously the coach of the U23 men's national team in the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament. Uh, They obviously did not qualify for the Olympics, uh, but Perez, who previously worked with the U.S. national team program, uh, now takes over El Salvador. Uh, Donald, I believe we have some news in Jamaica. Why don't you get to that? Yeah, so on April 9th, the Jamaican Football Federation reached an agreement with the senior men's national team uh, on a new collective bargaining agreement and say uh, 
they had been negotiating for quite a while. Uh, if you recall back in March, the Jamaican, a lot of the Jamaican players decided not to play uh, in friendlies in Europe, including one against the United States, because they were protesting the Federation and, and kind of debating, going back and forth, negotiating with these uh, collective bargaining agreements. But they finally have one. So uh, that is behind them. And now uh, Jamaicans can focus on trying to uh, get ready for World Cup qualifying and for the Gold Cup, which is this summer. Uh, but they will be able to do that with their full players, uh, with a full set of players, because everybody is on board now. And now they will uh, start trying to win over some of the English-born Jamaicans that are uh, that they called into camp and, and a lot of guys that they are trying to bring in to bolster their player pool ahead of qualifying. Yeah, resolving that, definitely a important step uh, before Gold Cup starts in july uh, let's just hope it's a long-term let's just hope it's a long-term re- resolution because i feel like this is not the this is not the first time that we've had a similar issue with the jamaican national team listen players got to get paid um but speaking of comp- upcoming competitions jonathan uh nations league where are we going so uh, as you all know uh nations league is a tournament that is near and dear to our hearts and some might say the inspiration for world of Concacaf. Uh, the Nations League final is June 3rd through 6th, uh, and that's going to be located in Denver. So there will be two semifinals and then also the finals that are going to take place at the Mile High Stadium in Denver. Uh, and just a reminder, if you don't have Paramount Plus, um, make sure you're going to need that to watch this tournament. Um, also pay us Viacom. <laughs> yes, we are no, always no really. accepting dollars. No, really pay us Viacom. You got <laughs> billions of dollars we're not even asking for billions we're asking for hundreds of hundreds <laughs> tens, tens of, of dollars tens of dollars tens of tens, dollars tens of hundreds of pennies yeah <laughs> subscriptions it's whatever <laughs> um, i do love the fact that they chose one central site for this um playing both semifinals on the same day in the same stadium and then having there's a third place game as well uh, before the final. So it's two double headers. Uh, it looks like they're going to have a good amount of fans there. I feel like this will be a fun weekend uh, in beautiful Denver, Colorado. I mean, Denver in June can't beat it, uh, but it should be nice for a lot of fans to be able to travel. Uh, people who are willing to travel, uh, travel and see two games guaranteed uh, when there really hasn't been a lot of opportunity to see live soccer uh, the last year or so. I think for me, probably the one of the things I'm most interested in is the fact that it not only is it it's two games in quick succession, three days apart, but at altitude as well. So I'm I'm very curious to see what these squads look like for all four teams and, and how they handle that altitude. The much anticipated conclusion of what some call the premier sporting event on the planet. I mean, some those some people are us, but some people say it. Uh, those some people are right too. <laughs> those some people are right. Uh, also, getting host cities announced is the 2021 Gold Cup, and we've got locations for that. We don't have a full schedule quite yet, but it looks like the southern part of the United States, primarily Texas, are going to be seeing a lot of Concacaf soccer this summer. Arlington, Texas, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Austin, Texas, Frisco, Texas, Kansas City, Kansas, Orlando, Florida, 
and Glendale, Arizona are will be getting the uh, preliminary games uh, for the Gold Cup, the group stage, and the final for the 2021 CONCACAF Gold Cup will be taking place in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, gentlemen, how long have you waited for a big soccer game in Las Vegas? Uh, apparently not long enough because they're making <laughs> us wait even longer for it. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a great final, uh, at least the finals location. I know a lot of people are excited about that, but you got to play the games first to get there. Um, and we definitely will. It'll be interesting to see what squad Greg Berhalter rolls out because he said he is not bringing his A squad to the Gold Cup. He wants to rest them. But, but guys, you'll, you'll hear it here first. Here are my guesses as to where the United States will end up playing. Kansas City, Frisco, Austin. And then for the quarterfinals and semifinals, they will be in three places. NRG in Houston, Jerry World in Arlington, and then State Farm Stadium in Glendale. Of course, the final being in Las Vegas. I think the semifinal, I think one of them would be in Phoenix um, just because all you have to do is get on a bus and drive five hours and you're in Vegas. When, I, I do want to say it. that I feel like this tournament, um, while the the second most premier Concacaf tournament or, or for, tournament in world football, um, maybe the one that Eric had a hand in setting the final. Uh, <laughs> we know Eric's uh, love of 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 Las Vegas and and combining Concacaf with Las Vegas. I mean, you couldn't ask ask for a better matchup. Unfortunately, you asked how long have we waited. It's going to be even longer for me because I will not be able to be in attendance. I was very much looking forward to my first trip to Vegas being also a CONCACAF Gold Cup final. So unfortunately, that's I'm, I'm going to have to wait. On I mean, that one. unfortunately for you, listen, as soon as I saw that map float out on Twitter, within four minutes, I had flights <laughs> booked. Four minutes. Got right on there and I booked. I will be gallivanting along the strip. That whole weekend, uh, our listeners may see me if they happen to be there, uh, but I look, will be going. Look, to that you game. ain't doing it wrong. If you were doing it right, you would have done what I did and go out to Vegas last weekend to scout out locations, <laughs> scout out casinos, scout out hotels, and I did all that and left Vegas up for the. Uh, basically, I, every time I have gone to Vegas, every single time I've been to Vegas, maybe 10, 11 times in my life, every single time I've been to Vegas, I have left with more money in my pocket. Then I arrived with. That's how you do Vegas. That's called a business trip. The uh, house so, is coming for you next time, Donald. <laughs> they say that every time, but every time the house loses. Listen, that town was built on people losing money. The key is that's other people and not me. Yep. <laughs> so Vegas, August 1st, that's going to be the place to be uh, when it comes to soccer. Uh, so really looking forward to seeing that stadium. Uh, so we got that going ahead, but we've also had some things happen, games happening recently. Uh, so let's go to scoreboard watch. First off, we're going to get to the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, CONCACAF Champions League, the 2021 edition, started with the round of 16 earlier here in April. Uh, I'm going to read through the results. Uh, Cruz Azul defeated Arcai of Haiti uh, by NATO scoreline. Toronto FC. Edging out Club Leon, 3-2 on aggregate. Monterey defeating Atletico Pantoja uh, by a 6-1 scoreline. Columbus Crew taking care of Real Esteli 
Philadelphia Union defeating Saprissa, Atlanta United defeating Alajuense, Club America beating Olympia of Honduras, 2-2 on aggregate, but with the away goals tiebreaker, and Portland Timbers comfortably defeating Marathon. Gentlemen, what were the results that surprised you? I mean, I think the the standout result for me was the fact that Atlanta United got through against Alajuelense, especially in the fact that, you know, they went down to Costa Rica, picked up a, a 1-0 win down a man playing a like an 18-year-old kid in, in, in goal uh, who had never played a professional soccer game before. Um, and then they did get a little bit of a, not a little bit, they got a huge lucky break coming back to, uh, to Kennesaw when seven of their starters were unable to travel um, due to COVID restrictions and COVID uh, travel regulations with the fact that Costa Rica had been at a friendly in Europe. So uh, I, mean, I think that was a really big standout for me because I thought that looking at this, looking at the other than Toronto, Atlanta had the toughest uh, task with the fact that Alahulense hadn't lost since November. So for me, there's two things. One, I think Lyon losing to Toronto, I I had mentioned on the last pod that that was the matchup that I was looking forward to because it's MLS versus uh, uh, League MX, and you always want to beat League MX in that. So all five MLS teams advanced to the semifinals. Um, Semifinals, right? Quarterfinals, sorry. Quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. All five MLS teams advanced to the quarterfinals, which is unheard of uh, for us. So, you know, shout out to MLS, but... Here is the most CONCACAF thing ever. Arcahai, in their first match against Cruz Azul at home, they drew Cruz Azul, which was a phenomenal achievement. Of course, they could not play in Azteca against Cruz Azul with their starting goalkeeper because his passport disintegrated. Between, <laughs> it disintegrated. Not like got lost. He found it. It disintegrated, got some water on it or something, and it frizzled up so he couldn't use it so he couldn't get a passport in time to travel so they had to play that game that second leg without their starting goalkeeper that is the most CONCACAF thing of the of the knockout stage so far what was that final score of that game that he couldn't play in I think it was, it was like 4 nil. nil or something it was 8 nil. it was 8-0 eight eight nil. oh 8 <laughs> yeah. yeah I turned it off when I was like oh maybe this guy's got a chance nope, nope. he doesn't Good it was 4-0 nil at halftime so that's probably when you turned it off that's probably when I turned it off it was a late I- game too I did watch some of that uh, first game, and yeah, it the pitch was definitely in Arcai's favor. Uh, Cruz Azul just could not get anything done, uh, and that like that's a great result for that club, just getting a draw against a club like that. But the away leg, maybe next time. And and like the the Marathon game uh, in. Uh, Honduras was also really good. That was a fantastic 2-2 game uh, with Portland. I think may have been one of the more fun. Actually, I think it was the most fun back and forth game uh, that we saw through all of that. Well, it was one of the few that had a lot of goals that wasn't just scored by one team because uh, we did have a bunch of blowouts uh, in this round of 16. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me is Toronto FC. Uh, getting their uh, results against Club Leon, going to Leon, getting a draw, uh, and then taking care of business in a closed-door game in Orlando. 
Well, uh, with a stadium that got moved literally that morning and another ep- episode of Pete CONCACAF. Yeah. The morning of the game at about, uh, I want to say, 8.30 local time. It was a 5 p.m. kickoff. They were informed by CONCACAF that there was a retaining wall too close to the end line and they were forced to move the game. So, like, I could only think, like, God rest that production staff's uh souls and i think the only saving grace was that they had to go play at wild world of sports who had hosted mls's back so like i mean hours changing venue locations and the fact that Concacaf didn't approve that earlier like they that was always the location that was never in doubt um at the uh, orlando training facility so it was just a a wild another wild instance of Concacaf. there's a reason that I said there's a reason that CONCACAF Champions League is the best Champions League of all the confederations. It's because of, you know, the the facilities, just top notch. <laughs> well, look, you have a retaining wall that was not discovered until the night before. And the morning of, you would think, okay, my answer here is to just redraw the lines, maybe making the field a little bit smaller but making it so that the retaining wall is completely out of play. And they were told that they could do that, except they woke up and were told, nope, instead of redrawing the line so that this field is a yard shorter, we'll just move the entire thing. So (laughs) that is also a little CONCACAF, but I did want to end with, uh, we had some fireworks as well. We had a lot of goals, but we had some fireworks in the Philadelphia Union Supriza tie first leg at the very, very end with the, what should have been a red card when dude got absolutely flipped over on his side was not, it was considered a yellow card. It, it sparked a melee. Uh, and that was the fireworks. I mean, we had a lot of them. It was all that everyone was talking about when that game was over, Listen, maybe for the next week. That was little professional foul, you know, just part of the game. Two foot in a it guy. Was, it was a scratch. It was just a scratch, over, right? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, like, I think my bigger thing is like, I wasn't necessarily surprised that he only got a yellow because like that's that's par for the course it's the way that the other players grabbed the referee and like just straight up shoved him out of the way like like not in not like on like with malice and i was like whoa how like it was i mean it was it was a melee at the end of the game also philadelphia the second american team to ever win at saprisa i know there were no fans but that is still an achievement in itself yeah it i mean especially for MLS in general, uh, lumping in Toronto with the American teams. Uh, MLS has never been able to get it done in this competition. And every year is the, is the, is the, is this the year com- conversation? And uh, maybe this is the year, five of the eight teams remaining. Uh, and we'll get as to a, that. As a DC later. United fan, I would like to point out is this edition or this format. Uh, of the tournament, no this iteration. I was about because DC United defense Donald. Let's say DC United has won a Champions Cup as as uh, the LA Galaxy. This this iteration. Sorry, yes, this is, uh, it's a new era in Concacaf. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to more Champions League talk later. Uh, Donald, do you want to talk about the women's national teams action that uh, we had across Concacaf this month? Yeah, we have a few teams that we'll note. Uh, first of all, the U.S. Women's National Team, they played two games in Europe. They suffered their first draw under head coach Vlad Glendonovsky. They drew one-to-one 
against Sweden in Stockholm. Uh, Sweden, we'll talk about the U.S. and Sweden later on in this podcast, but that is always a great, great tie to watch. And then the women traveled to France. They traveled to Le Havre and faced France, the site of their last loss, which was back in June or January of 2019 against France. France, though, had a depleted roster due to a COVID outbreak at Lyon, and it was at least six or seven of their players that weren't even called into camp. And so the U.S. basically blasted them out of the water. It was a 2-0 victory, but it wasn't close. They basically had them on their heels the entire time. Also in Europe was the Canadian women's national team. They had two pretty good victories. One was a 3-0 victory at Wales, and then the second one was a 2-0 victory at England. So uh, that was a pretty big matchup. And then finally, Panama, poor Panama, they decided to test their medal and travel all the way to Tokyo to face Japan. And Japan rolled out the welcome carpet and rolled out the red carpet and decided to just mollywop them. 7-0 <laughs> was the final score. Uh, Panama, they they got to see Tokyo, which a lot of people haven't been able to do the, this past year, but they got to see the ugly side of Tokyo uh, as balls kept entering the net one by one by one by one by one by one. It's a tough loss there, but uh, good results for Canada. Uh, heading into the Olympics, getting two big uh, results there. Uh, that's got to give them some confidence going in. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just my takeaway is and what i'm jealous of is the fact that panama was able to get into japan <laughs> I, mean, I mean that's that the, the, panama's the real winners in all of this Arguably, Panama's like we're yes. not going to the olympics oh we go and get japan though watch us all right so that wraps up scoreboard watch uh quickly i do want to give a birthday shout out april 26th is a big day uh i want to wish a happy 76th birthday uh former CONCACAF general secretary Chuck Blazer would be turning 76 this year, but my notes here say he's dead, so he will not be celebrating. Uh, uh, rest in peace, Chucky B. May you be in eternity in your Obi-Wan Kenobi costume. I have, I have one thing to say about Chuck Blazer. Jack Warner sucks. <laughs> Facts only here on the World of CONCACAF podcast. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to get to our CONCACAF laser focus, which is the nation of Curacao. We'll be right back. This week, our CONCACAF laser focus is the nation of Curacao. Donald, can you tell us about Curacao? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's a place that I have been before, and I'll discuss a little of what I saw at the end. But it was settled by the Spanish in 1499. Now, this is when, back in the day, way, way back, when the Netherlands was actually a part of the Spanish Empire, and the, and the two empires are kind of combined. Over time, they, the Spanish colonized Curacao, but then they found that agriculture on the island was difficult to maintain. And so they eventually called it Isla Inutil, which is useless island. <laughs> so they stopped 
they stopped really going there. They pulled a lot of their people out, and that's when the Dutch kind of uh, filled in those gaps, also with a lot of the indigenous population. The Dutch eventually separated from Spain in 1581, and in 1621, the Dutch West India Company was chartered. Now, the Dutch West India Company, or WIC, they used Curacao as a trade base and for privateering, mostly for salt production to kind of preserve fish and other items. The Spanish then saw, hey, this place is actually useful. Uh, it was no longer inutil. So in 1637, they tried to retake Curacao, but their efforts were thwarted by the West India Company and the island remained in Dutch control. The Dutch West India Company was an actual company. It was kind of a way for them to profit off of controlling the island, but they went bankrupt. And so then the island officially became a colony under the Dutch flag. The colony was called at that point the Curacao and Dependencies uh, Colony, and that was from 1815 to 1954. Now, Curacao is part of a group of islands that are called the ABC Islands. That would be Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Of course, Aruba and Bonaire are also CONCACAF nations, and we will talk about them on later episodes. But together, in 1954, they became the Netherlands Antilles or the Dutch Antilles, and they were ruled as one by the Dutch. That was for about 50 years. In 2010, the Netherlands Antilles, after a lot of back and forth between the islands and the kingdom of, of the Netherlands, it finally dissolved and Curacao became the country of Curacao. And it's still under the kingdom of the Netherlands. It basically operates as an autonomous nation, but there is periodic influence and interference by the Dutch on certain political issues. So the island itself has a population of about 163,000 people, almost all of which live in the capital of Willemstead. The official languages are Papia Mintu, which is kind of like Portuguese Creole, and it's spoken by much uh, most people who live in what is called the Dutch Caribbean. Uh, they also speak Dutch, obviously, and a little bit of English and Spanish. Dutch is the language most used for business and legal matters, but over 80% of the island consider Papiamentu their first language. Again, some people also speak Spanish as well as English. English is an official language of Curacao. Their national sport is not soccer. Their national sport is baseball, kind of like our national pastime here in the United States. They love the game, and their most famous team was the 2004 Little League team, which won the Little League World Series world title over Thousand Oaks of California that team that was absolutely awesome. And then they ran into a machine in Curacao. It was kind of an upset. But there are several players who play in the major leagues here in the United States, including D.D. Gregorius and Jerickson Profar, two guys who have been outstanding over the years. Their local food is called Criollo, which is kind of basically like Spanish Creole food. So there's a lot of popular dishes, a lot of stews, papaya, goat, beef. Uh, there's a giambo, which is kind of a soup made from okra and seafood and then there's a lot of things made out of fish they love fish and the ubiquitous side dish is plantains fried plantains of course uh, so everywhere you go most dishes will have a side of fried plantains next to it now let's get into what you came to hear and that's the drink <laughs> there is the national beer of curacao and that is amstel bright not amstel white Whoa. amstel bright it is brewed using desalinated ocean water to form a pale lager. It is one of two beers in the entire world that uses desalinated water from the Caribbean to as their main ingredient. 
But Curacao's greatest creation is Blue Curacao. Blue Curacao, the liqueur, is made with dried peels of the laranja, which is an orange-type citrus fruit that is found on the island. The flesh of the fruit itself is something you cannot eat. It's so bitter, they consider it unpalatable. But the aroma that you get from the peel is incredible, so they use that to make the liqueur. The liqueur that you see when it's produced is actually colorless. And on the island of Curacao, you can buy colorless Curacao. It's still called Curacao, um, spelled like the country, but they add food coloring to create its legendary blue color. You will also see some in orange on the island as well, but blue is the one that you will find for Curacao's most famous liqueur here in the United States and really all around the world. And I've been to Willemstead. Yes. Was there a reason they started putting the blue curacao, the blue food coloring in there, or is it just kind of a, a marketing thing? I will get right to that. So <laughs> when you go to Willemstead, there's one thing that is striking about the place, and it's the architecture. And the buildings and homes are all painted in very bright, very vibrant colors. You have a lot of orange, yellow, pink, neon green, light blue. And so because of that, part of the marketing scheme was, yeah, if we make it colorless, it's going to be like every other rum or every other vodka or every other gin that's out there. But if we make it blue, it makes it vibrant and it makes it something where people will be able to see it on the shelf and recognize that it is the national product of Curacao. So that's why they started doing it. Again, later on, they added the orange as well because of the orange flavor. But for all intents and purposes, the blue was made just like their architecture because they wanted to stand out and be vibrant amongst his competitors. Nice. Well, I have to say, as we say on this podcast, that sounds good. So I'm looking forward. It to is very up. good. <laughs> have you had, have you had, I know you said you've been there. Did you have the Amstel bright? I did not have the Amstel bright. Um, I tried several kinds of Curacao, uh, but the one thing is there is one that is like the national, product there's a couple like offshoot brands but there's the national one and that's the one i ended up bringing back it's very expensive uh down there is cheap but here in the united states you'll probably find a bottle for like 50 bucks which if you've bought curacao before you're buying curacao for like eight nine ten bucks maybe uh but this is expensive but because it is the official product of curacao all the other ones are made not on that island uh, all the ones that are cheaper but if you want to get the real deal you're going to pay a little bit of money for it I will say it is very, very good. You can't taste the difference between the the stuff from Curacao and other ones that are made. But if you think about it, when you add stuff that's in orange or in pineapple or other citrus fruits, that is where the, the real deal will come in. That's where you're going to find that flavor because that aroma from that Laranja plant is going to be what basically radiates throughout the juices that you put in there, the pineapple or orange juice or other citrus juice. And that's what makes it worth the, worth the buy getting thirsty just listening to it all right enough about the booze let's get to the soccer uh jonathan tell me about soccer and curacao so as donald said there there it the nation of curacao um as it currently stands it has been um both an independent nation and um a dutch colony and so that kind of plays into the fact with the national federation so previously there has been there's been three national federations, including the current one. There was the Curacao Federation, the Netherlands Antillian Football Union, which I must say maybe the best name. 
Um, and that was so that was formed in 1958. And that was a merger of the Aruba Football Federation, the Curacao Football Association, and the Bonaire Football Federation. So they, Bonaire was they joined last. They joined in '63, but they stayed um, as a group and as the Netherlands Antillian Football Union. Yes, Donald. Uh, I just want to say that the Bonaire Football Federation. It's clear that they just want to join because they are everyone's BFF. <laughs> <laughs> oh i wish Moving i could on. i wish i could um, grow. <laughs> yeah Listen, so uh, don't need dad thing... jokes in this podcast it, yeah. it, it was there i had to do it i'm sorry <laughs> i'll allow Thanks, it Dan. but con- continue jonathan they, they were a they were both a fifa affiliated uh member and then also a Concacaf affiliate so to that 2011 they fold um and then we move straight into the Curacao Football Federation. Um, they are the current organizers of uh, the national of the national football teams and the local league. So the local league, it is a one uh, pyramid team. There are ten teams, and it is the Curacao Prome División. Um, not going to go through any of the teams at this point because that's going to come in later. When we talk real team, fake team. So so stick around for that. Um, and then moving on uh, to the women's national team of Curacao. Actually, there's not a lot of information on, on this. They have played a total of eight games or nine games. Eight, nine were we scheduled. Record of? One was canceled. One was canceled. Um, most recently, um, they last played. They've been undefeated since 2018. Um, with their last game being a 1-0 win over St. Vincent and the Grenadines in 2018. Um, their highest ranking right now is, oh, well, their highest ranking was 127 in 2011. Um, and we are now there at their lowest at 162. So um, hopefully we will be getting to see as, as you know, we keep talking about this. Um, seeing more of these island nations investing more into the women's game um, and seeing that grow with inside of CONCACAF. Yeah, it's hard to build up your FIFA ranking when you're not getting any games in. Um, being, being quiet and not having any games will not help you grow your program. Um, but yeah, I tried doing my own research on the women's program and unfortunately there's just not a lot out there. Um, but on the men's side, things are looking up. Uh, now, as we've mentioned, the program has evolved over the years with the nation itself. Uh, so I'm going to kind of stick to the current era, uh, since Curacao joined CONCACAF, um, following the dissolution of the Netherlands Antilles. Uh, now they consider Curacao to be like the natural. So they consider Curacao to be the natural uh, descendant of the Netherlands Antilles football program. Curacao, in their decade since this change, has actually had a pretty good level of success. Uh, they are the 2017 Caribbean Cup champions. Uh, they've got two appearances in the Gold Cup. Uh, they finished eighth in the 2019. 
uh, edition, and that was their first quarterfinal appearance, and they are qualified for the 2021 edition coming up. Uh, in Nations League, they were members of League A. They finished second behind Costa Rica in Group D, uh, so they're going to maintain that League A status for the next edition of Nations League. Uh, earlier this year, when the beginning of World Cup qualifying, they were able to get two solid results. Uh, they got a 5-0 victory at home against St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And then away to Cuba, they actually got a 2-1 victory in the game that was played in Guatemala. Uh, right now, they f- sit first in Group C. Uh, and coming up in June, they've got a game away to the British Virgin Islands. And then they're, they're home to Guatemala in the game that will likely decide who moves on to the second round of qualifying. Uh, those good results in March uh, helped them boost their FIFA ranking to 76th uh, in the April FIFA rankings. So they are one of the higher-ranked teams in CONCACAF, especially for all these island nations, and they continue to keep growing their program. Part of the help of growing this program is the fact that they can pull all of this talent from overseas because of their relationship with the Netherlands. Uh, they've got players all over Europe, uh, headlining by uh, headlined by midfielder Leandro Bacuna of Cardiff City. He's actually Curacao's all-time goals leader with 12 uh, in the short 10-year history of the Curacao, the modern iteration of the Curacao Federation. Uh, his younger brother, uh, Juninho Bacuna, who's at Huddersfield Town, also a midfielder, uh, is part of the squad. And most North Americans would be most familiar with goalkeeper Eloy Room, uh, who's currently with Columbus Crew. He had a fantastic 2019 Gold Cup, which is part of the reason he was signed up to uh, play in Major League Soccer. Their captain is Ruendli Aurelio Giancarlo Martina, also known as Cuco Martina. He was formerly of Twente, Southampton, Everton, and last on loan to Feyenoord. Uh, his international de- debut is actually Curacao's first international match as Curacao, and he's their all-time cap leader with 48. Uh, they've got a plethora of good young players, including uh, young forward Jeremy Antonisa. Uh, he's a 19-year-old who just made his debut this season with PSV Eindhoven. Uh, so he is a talent to keep an eye on. Now, the interesting thing that we want to discuss with Curacao is their manager situation. So in the 10 years since they dissolved Netherlands Antilles, uh, they've had seven managers in those 10 years. Uh, they had a few local guys. And then the first big name to come along was Patrick Kluivert. Uh, you know him. He was a player at Ajax, AC Milan, Barcelona, former Netherlands star. He had 79 caps for the Dutch. He was hired in 2015 before qualification for the 2018 World Cup. Uh, Curacao defeated Montserrat in round one, Cuba in round two, and then was knocked out by El Salvador in round three. Uh, Cliver actually left in 2016 to become a coach at Ajax. He's actually been working with other big clubs. He was at PSG for a bit. I believe he's at Barcelona right now. Uh, I mean, one of the big names in Europe came over to help Curacao build the program. I say that now because we're going to reference it short, shortly. Uh, after Cliver left, 
He was replaced by Remco Bicentini, uh, who had managed the Netherlands Antilles in 2009 and 2010 and was one of Kluivert's assistants. He guided the squad to the 2017 Caribbean Cup title. Uh, he helped them qualify for three state, straight uh, CONCACAF Gold Cups. He's doing a great job building the program. And he's no longer with the program. This is what went down. So Vicentini, in working to build the program, was like, hey, you know, I could use some help. Uh, maybe someone with a lot of experience. It'd be great to have like someone I could bounce off idea, bounce ideas off. What if we bring in a guy? I don't know, maybe like a Louis Van Gaal, maybe Gus Hiddink. We can, you know, Oops. bring him in, bring him in as like uh advisor. And Curacao's Federation is like, cool, that's a really good idea. So Gus Hiddink gets announced in August of 2020 as the new manager of curacao and bisantine is like wait hold up i didn't i didn't mean this so bisantine had reached out to hitting about helping with the federation with the national team and the federation went back to hitting it was like yo how about you just coach and they negotiated behind the scenes and announced that Hiddink had taken the job without telling Bicentini any of this at all. So Bicentini and the whole team, which had no idea that any of this was going on, was caught off guard by this whole situation. Our friend, the king of CONCACAF, John Arnold, actually did a really good uh, piece with Bicentini in his uh, Getting CONCACAF newsletter. Encourage you to read it. But effectively, Curacao bailed on their manager, who had led them to a bunch of success and Gus Hiddink the legendary manager who's been all over Europe is now Curacao's national team manager uh, obviously they had a great march they have big games coming up in June they've got the gold cup coming up in uh, July and I mean they've got a good look at advancing and qualifying and if they happen to get into the final eight for the third round of CONCACAF qualifying, it will be the island's greatest achievement in soccer. Um, but yeah, some weird stuff. Have you guys ever heard of a situation like that? Yeah, basically, I feel like they just forgot to fire him, right? Like, there's a lot of times we're like, hey, we got a coach, and like, oh, all we got to do is fire this guy first, and then we'll wait a couple of days and then we'll announce this new guy. Like, Oh my God, we started talking to this new guy and everyone knows like, yo, you clearly had him lined up. And I mean, one of the first rules of firing someone is don't fire someone unless you have someone better, right. That you can bring it. And for this, it just got to tell, tell your boy, like, Hey, by the way, <laughs> that was a great idea that you had, but we're going to fire you and we're going to bring him in. That's our idea. Uh, and they just got to tell him, but they, he found out the way everyone else did. Your Twitter. idea was your idea was too good of an idea. Right. Yeah, and, and Eric, you asked if I'd heard something similar to this. I feel like I have. It's every time Goose Hiddink has taken another job. Um, yes. I think uh, primarily his, his multiple stints at Chelsea. I mean, it, it, is, it is absolutely wild to have the former head coach of the Netherlands and 
former head coach of Real Madrid uh, to be coaching a, a nation in CONCACAF, regardless of, of who that is. Uh, and that doesn't even begin to include all of the um, other teams that he is, uh, um, he's coached. Also, never forget that Goose Hitting at one point was the Chelsea coach and the Netherlands coach because neither team wanted to let him go. And he said, I will just coach both until one of you fire me uh, or or I ended up deciding it's too too hard to do. So he got two checks from a federation and from a club to coach at the same time. The thing I yeah, find I, fascinating I, I, with Hiddink is he is coached. I mean, obviously, he's a coach of Curacao right now. He's also coached the Netherlands, South Korea, Australia, Russia, Turkey, the Netherlands again. And most recently, before Curacao, he was the China U21 coach. Like, that dude had been around. My man, well, and like, he even, <laughs> he, he even worked for a, a team of, you know, early 2010s, um, Anzi Makalaka, the, uh, <laughs> The Russian super club that uh, was owned by a Russian billionaire who invested a lot of money then, and they actually trained, I want to say like 12 hours away from where they actually played. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been, he's been to some interesting, interesting spots. He likes checks. Like I said, my man, like he likes yen. He likes dollars. He likes, he likes yuan. He likes euros. <laughs> He likes rubles, Eastern Caribbean dollars. Like he likes all the, he likes every check possible. Listen, everyone's got a price. Um, but yeah, so Gus Hiddink, current manager. Uh, I do want to mention that Bicentini is now an assistant with the Canadian program. Uh, so he is still in CONCACAF and clearly has a bone to pick with the Curacao Federation. It's a shame that he took a step down, you know, going from, curacao to the like lowly you know neighbors to the north it's just it's just a bad fall for him but i just hope he gets pro- back up just a program going nowhere but you know what maybe he can build it into something um but that is curacao we're gonna take a quick break then we're gonna hit our favorite segment of the episode uh real team or fake team we'll be right back all right folks it is time for real team or fake team this week on the hot seat, we got Donald, and Jonathan and I are going to give him a lesson or give him a test in Curacao soccer teams. Again, you guys know the rules. We're going to present a team name to Donald. He's got to tell us whether it's a real team or a fake team, and he ain't going to have any idea because wait till you hear this shit. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you go first? So we're going to start with FC West Wolf United. FC West Wolf. Is that two words or one word? That is two words. FC West Wolf United. I'm going to go fake team. That is a real team. Mm. They are currently in the, uh, you know, top division. And they uh, last year finished in, I think, fifth. I don't like them because they're they they're actually well named team. That's why I went against them because Kakikaf doesn't have well named teams. Oh for one. All right. Next up, SV Victory Boys. SV Victory Boys. 
Is that with a Z or with an S? S. That's definitely real. That is a real team. Yeah. Uh, based in Williamstead, SV Victory Boys is finished eighth in the Pro May division in 2019-2020. They have no champion. They're, they're Victory Boys, but they have zero championships. Uh, they finished runner-up four times last in 2005. And they opened their 2021 season with a 2-2 draw versus Central Barber on March 7th. They don't do Zs. Like, they don't do boys with Zs in, in Curacao. I know that for we'll a fact. Find, we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> Jonathan? Real Antilles. Fake. That is correct. All right. Donald, two for they three. Ain't real. They ain't real. There is a, there is a Real uh Buena Vista, um, but there is not a Real Antilles. It's a it's a fake Antilles. All right. <laughs> Up next, SV Atomic. SV Atomic. Yep. Oh, mm. and this is bad because the SV part is what's stumping me because seeing that they're Dutch. Uh, they love them some acronyms in front of a real name. So SV Atomic. I'm going to go fake. SV Atomic is a real team. Mm. Uh, they Should finished first, my gut. in 2019, 2020, they finished first in the Segundo division, uh, but they were knocked out in the Kaya six round. Uh, so they did not get promotion. Uh, this year in 2021, they won their opener and recently fell to UD Terracara. On March eighth, I should have gone on my gut. Should it? Should it, I pieced it all through and talked myself out of it? Two for four. All right. So your fifth one, CRK SV Young Holland. I'm going real because that's a lot of acronyms and Holland's in there. Young is irrelevant. <laughs> Uh, that is a real team. They are the <laughs> current holders of the uh, Premier Division. Finally. So we're at three for five. You had four your first time, right? I did. Yeah, he did. So pressure is on. You're... But he still has more than Eric did last time. That's true. Thank you for bringing that up, Jonathan. I think I was All two. Right. So I had two. Three is more than two. So I'm just splitting the difference here. <laughs> Go for the money now. Enough. All right. <laughs> Your final team. Caribbean International University. Caribbean International University. That's right. I know for a fact that Caribbean International University is not there. And I know that for a fact because I have no idea what that is. I just, it just sounds like it's not on that <laughs> island. So I'm going to go fake. That is a real team. Caribbean God International dang. University uh, finished third in the Tercer division in 2019-2020. Mm, mm, mm. Talk myself out of it again. See, see how I be doing this? See? 50-50. Three, three out of six, though. That's cool. 50, you know, three out of six. Still better than Eric. It's dragging your average down. I'm at three so. and a half. That's my average. So, All right. Well, Donald, good effort. Thanks for playing. Wait, good uh, job, guys. Those were those were hard because of the acronyms. The acronyms kept throwing me for loops. Oh, once I saw like looked at the standings from like last season's leagues, I was like, 
this one's going to be a good one because honestly, we left a lot of good ones on the cutting room floor. Actually, oh, I believe it. I can I can tell you ones that we left on the cutting room floor. Um, CVV Inter Williamstead, RK mm-hmm. RKSV Centro Dominico. Wait, Dominguito Centro Dominguito. Sorry, uh, SV New Song. And my personal favorite, which I almost wanted to use, was Sea Stars United. Oh, that would have got me. That because like all the other ones had again way too many acronyms. Like once you once you got past like two letters, I'm like, all right, we in here. Oh, uh, because <laughs> they love doing that. Sea Stars United, you got to watch out for them. And it's not C in like the ocean, but just the letter, letter C. C. Yeah, yeah. Club. Also, C. Eric, you want to talk about the. Uh, SV Atomic Crest. Oh, yeah. So I found... as I'm going to post this on our Twitter for everyone listening. So SV Atomic's Crest. If you've seen the the crest for Sky Blue FC in the women's team, it may look familiar because it is the <laughs> damn, same damn logo. <laughs> they just copied over the text with SV Atomic. Like, it's in a white box on the logo. And it is literally the exact the same. I, a- I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna front I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play them like that because how many teams in this world are named Barcelona and they basically just rip off the Barcelona crest uh, or you know Real whatever and they have the Real crest. But I will say I think this got to be the first club that I've ever seen that is copying off the NWSL team. So in an NWSL Sky Blue stand up. Of course they changed to a Sky Blue crest and Sky Blue changes theirs to. New York, New Jersey, Gotham FC. Listen, we are only like five countries into CONCACAF. We will find others. I guarantee it. My, my I, thing I'm sure is we will. Like, why did you pick that logo to bite? Because like it's not like the Sky Blue FC logo ain't great. There's They're like it's so terrible. It, it's so terrible that no one's gonna come looking for it. <laughs> yeah, there's like it's like no one's gonna go through the process of like. Uh, trademark, uh, like trying to secure the their trademark. So they're just, you know what? We'll just let it roll. Hiding in plain sight. That was the first one that came up on the search engine. Uh, but another great addition of real team or fake team. Next up, uh, we're going to do a new thing. Uh, we've talked about doing this in the past, but we figured we'd throw, out, throw it out on Twitter. Uh, it's like, hey, do you guys have any questions for us? So this is the first edition of Postcards to the Pod, where we have listener questions and podcast answers. So our first question uh, comes from at Andrew C. Dole of beautiful Buffalo, New York. His question is, why is the so-called Super League afraid to invite any clubs from CONCACAF? Doesn't sound very super to me. Uh, Donald, your thoughts. Uh, miss you, Andrew Dole of uh, Buffalo, New York. Fabulous Buffalo, New York. Shout out, Buffalo. Um, I believe you have answered your own question. This is why everyone was upset at the Super League, because you can't be super without the best teams on the planet. And the best teams on the planet come from the best confederation on the planet. And I'm, I'm looking at my watch and check my... That's not UEFA. So, <laughs> just saying. So, I, I do want to um, give some hats off to the... Um, artists formerly known as the uh, European Super League, um, <laughs> for their epic CONCACAFness of the both rollout, um, life, 
and death of the Super League. Um, the fact that a group of billionaires um, put together a league and basically forgot to create a logo. And then if you went to the website, it looks like that someone on work experience, they sent them to like, you know, work that website. The, the, the lack of rollout communication, anything um, was, was, was just pink CONCACAF. And then you, you get Florentino Perez, um, you know, just on late night TV, um, as a friend of late, mine late, said, like, um, like James Corden late night, yeah, who let Perez just go on TV and chat absolute wham. I mean, just talking about shit, like we're going to, you know, cut the length of games down. Um, he's his newest thing he's pitching is, um, the champions league. Um, but, uh, <laughs> just, Look. just, um, I CONCACAF, they, it wasn't super enough, but they did try to go full CONCACAF. Look, I, I can't rock on my with my man's flow on this. Like normally he's my man's, but he he is he is walking on his own type of water and and, and he ain't floating. Uh, but let me tell you this: the reason why they didn't have a logo or anything like that is because this wasn't real, guys. This was a it's negotiation a fig- tactic. <laughs> it's a figment this, of our imagination. No, this was a negotiation. And here's the thing: I guarantee this is how it worked. They're like, "Yo, if we if we come out with some details of this thing, like I guarantee you, they're gonna fold like a cheap suit, and then all of a sudden they're gonna be like, okay, we'll give you all the money we want.'" And Flo was like, "Yeah, cool." And he ran off and was like, "Wait, wait, hold up, like we we really doing this? Like we gonna we don't even have a logo. We don't have anything. Like they're gonna they're gonna, they're not gonna right, right do this." And sure I enough, cut they this did. Off here because this is a Concaf podcast, and we don't spend our time on inferior confederations. No, I just, no, I, I do have I was going to lead to my point do, though. Here's here's the point. There is one super league. <laughs> it's the CONCACAF Nations League. We already have it. Yeah. Why why would you try to duplicate perfection? You can't do it. It's called imitation. It's the sincerest form yeah. of flattery and it, it never is a duplication. Listen, CONCACAF makes up a lot of competitions, but you know what? They all happen. In some fashion. True. <laughs> Listen, if you're gonna bullshit, you gotta follow through on your bullshit. They'd be, and, they'd be like, "Yo, we gonna have half is the king. We're gonna have two guys, uh, and and a couple. They they can pick one animal each, and we're gonna put it on the horses, and then we're gonna run around. And they're gonna kick a soccer ball a goal. Call it, call it, Cockacalf League. Go play. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Quick side question. Say UEFA, say they do start the Super League. You get to send one CONCACAF team. Who are you sending? Ooh. Do, do they have to then travel to that to play games there? So if, if that's the case, I'm probably sending Club America because I want CONCACAF teams playing. I mean, I want UEFA teams having to play at Azteca. Um. Okay, yeah, so they're playing, they have to play at the CONCACAF place. Here's yeah. who I'm sending. I'm sending Joe Public FC. You know why? <laughs> because one, Joe Public FC, I have seen their pitch. It's trash. The second thing is, guarantee you, they get a lot of forfeits because some teams will be like, yo, who is Joe Public and why is he a team? <laughs> Whose team is coming? It's just the guy. It's clearly, they're, they're just messing with us and they won't show up. All right. Donald, you and I are on the same page. I am bringing this back full circle to the podcast and sending FC Mega Ballers. <laughs> Mega Ballers, yep. <laughs> from 
our debut episode. All right. Yeah. Imagine, so, imagine the English press writing like, hell, we're playing FC mega ballers and <laughs> a- actually like getting that through the editor. The editor's like, yo, you clearly messed this up. Take that. Yeah. Take the name. I off, just want to hear Clive in. Tilsley have to commentate uh, on a match involving FC mega ballers. They shook. They are already shook. That's why they're creating this league. All right. So thank you, Andrew, uh, for the question. Go Bills. Uh, our next question comes from Alex Smith of England. We've got a UEFA member sending us a question. Uh, do you think CONCACAF should adopt a similar qualifying format to UEFA with seven groups of five rather than teams automatically qualifying for the final stage? And which format do you think helps the weaker teams develop? Uh, just a quick little um, explainer. CONCACAF qualifying all the lower seeded teams play each other to play up, play into spots in the final round with the top five seeded teams. Whereas in UEFA, everyone is in the same starts in the same round. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on qualifying format? I go back and forth with this because I feel like there's a chance that um, you, we won't, we, I mean, a, we don't get to see all of these Island games. I think it's good for the growth of the region for um, these smaller, more games between these smaller Island nations. Um, That being said, I would be in favor of it because um, the um, anthem of this podcast is Island qualifiers. And, this format would open up for traveling for more island qualifiers. So um, I'm in favor. Yeah. I I mean, from, from my perspective, on the sporting side, I think it's better for these t- smaller island countries to play at their level and have the best teams get to play against the best teams. I think the format leads itself for the competition to be a slightly better. Like we don't need Anguilla getting curb stomped by Canada in, I shouldn't say Canada. I shouldn't say a good team uh, curb stomped by the United States uh, 21, nothing like that doesn't help their program at all. But if you get to play the islands who are at your level, it can help you build uh, your competitiveness over time. Now, that's on the sporting perspective. On the personal perspective of me wanting to travel to World Cup qualifiers, I think that the United States should play away to every country in CONCACAF as part of qualifying. So, you know what? There's good arguments on both sides. But personally, I feel my travel needs supersede any competitiveness uh, levels. Donald, what do you think? I think it should be a double round robin. We play everyone in CONCACAF twice, once home, once away. Because one, that is 30, 34 uh, road games for us. And 90% of them are islands. So, yeah, give me that. And then also we get to see all these island qualifiers, all island teams in the United States. And honestly, because we're in the United States, we're in control. We can put our home games anywhere, including outside the United States. So we could go and say to Anguilla, like, you know what? Nah, we're not going to play you in Orlando. We'll just we'll just come to you again and we'll play again. So yeah. the idea is there's so many so much opportunity. Um, but in all seriousness, I think the UEFA plan wouldn't work from the sporting side only because you'd see a lot of lopsided victories, uh, especially from the bigger teams. Concacaf doesn't think that putting like those type of scores out there 
helps the confederation in the eyes of Europe or South America. They want to see teams playing the better teams. So they're going to keep a schedule or or at least a format similar to that. So that the, the minnows of, of CONCACAF have to play their way up to play the big teams. As a, as a fan, I think we all agree that that's not how we want it to work. We want to travel to these places. We want to test ourselves against, you know, some of these teams on some of their fields and being in some of these environments because that's a great test. It's a unique test. But I, I just don't think CONCACAF would ever go for that. Yeah. Um, all home games in the Florida Keys. That's I mean, fine. Key that. West. Shout out. Conquer Republic. <laughs> So those are our listener questions. Thank you guys for submitting. Really appreciate that. We will be doing this again, uh, and we will definitely reach out uh, on the socials uh, when we are soliciting good questions like this. So that was postcards to the pod. Uh, Finally, let's go to what's next. And we've talked about some of the things coming up. Nations League. We've talked about Gold Cup. More information about those events are going to be coming soon. But recently, we did have the draw for the Olympic Games this summer. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to tell us about the men's groups uh, for the CONCACAF teams in the Summer Olympics? Yeah, so we got the, uh, it's four groups of four. Uh, So Group A, we have uh, Japan, South Africa, Mexico, and France. Uh, Group B is New Zealand, uh, Korea Republic, Honduras, and Romania. Group C, um, Egypt, Spain, Argentina, and Australia. Um, I really would say that that one's probably our our group of death. Um, And then Group D is Brazil, Germany, Ivory Coast, um, and Saudi Arabia. Now, do you guys feel like this was a good draw for either of our CONCACAF teams? I think it was, uh, especially for Honduras. I think Honduras... You know, they can get out of that group with South Korea, New Zealand, and Romania. Uh, I think South Korea will be the tough team because they like to send kind of a loaded lineup. And I think given that it is in Japan, they want to put a put on a good show. When it comes to Mexico, obviously they're a strong team uh, when it comes to the U23s. And it, who knows who they would bring up for uh, for their overage players. But going up against host Japan and also having France in there, makes that a really difficult group, and it's not guaranteed that Mexico gets out of that group. I think they eventually do, but I don't know who will join them out of Japan or France. I think South Africa is the one that's kind of the the whipping the whipping childs of, of this group, though. Yeah, when I saw that group, I definitely think Mexico and Japan are fighting for one spot. Like, I would assume France is getting through. Um, but yeah, like, I would put money on Honduras getting out of Group B. Uh, that's a really great draw for them, and they've proved that they are competitive at this level, um, especially even at this stage. Uh, so that is the men's side. Uh, Donald, do you want to tell us about the women's side? Yeah, of course. And keep in mind when I keep these groups, that there's only three groups in uh, the women's bracket, but they also, because the Olympics is just dumb, uh, they like to continue the group name so if you recall uh jonathan just mentioned that there is groups a b c and d for the men the women's groups are groups e f and g because why you know why can you know why would they start over they just continue so in group e you have host japan you have canada great britain remember england qualified in this spot but it is a great britain team in the olympics 
and Chile rounds out Group E. In Group F, we have China, Brazil, Zambia, and the Netherlands. And then in Group G, G as in golf, Sweden, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, which is a pretty difficult group for the United States. If you don't, uh, if you figure out that Australia and Sweden have always given the United States fits over the years, and New Zealand is also a formidable opponent, we've seen them quite a bit. And literally, death taxes in Sweden in a major championship. That is certain when it comes to U.S. women's national team. They always draw Sweden at some point in every major international tournament. They were in the group stage uh, in the same group as Sweden in the 2019 World Cup. If you recall back in 2016 in the Olympics, Sweden knocked them out in the quarterfinals. They were in the 2015 World Cup, 2011. I keep going on because literally every single time we end up with Sweden, it's just a formality. So those will be that'll be another great, great matchup between those two teams. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at these these groups as a whole, there is no easy group with there only being 12 teams, uh, 12 women's teams in this. There, there's not really necessarily an easy group. And, you know, looking at Canada, um, I think that's they have a really tough. I mean, I would say Chile is probably the uh, the toughest. Te- I mean, the, the easiest team in that group. Um, but I mean, can I mean, Canada up against Japan is going to be a great match. And then it's just going to be interesting to see how that Great Britain team is brought together. We know how good the English national team can be for the on the women's side. Um, but we probably get a chance to see someone, some of the people from uh, from NWSL, like Just Fishlock, maybe getting uh, as a, being Welsh and, and getting a chance to play in a major tournament. Um, but I re- like I think for for both of the Concacaf nations here, it's going to be uh, some really great games. It's just a shame that so many of these games are at times like at like three thirty in the morning. Yeah, time zones are one of the things that popped out to me, especially with the U S group is having Australia and New Zealand there. Like they'll be a little bit more acclimated to games in Japan than for the players from the United States. I mean, I guess Sweden really wouldn't have much of an argument either. Uh, Although I would say this side of the world, go ahead. I would, I would say this, the United States is more than equipped to handle the climate of Tokyo, given that Tokyo is a very hot and humid climate in the summer. We they play games in Texas all the time. They play games in Florida all the time. They play games in California all the time in the summer. The, our our ladies are more than more than ready to handle the heat and humidity that they will be facing in Japan. And I mean, the other thing to point out is there's only 12 women's teams in the tournament, so third place teams will advance uh, depending on how they finish. So even if you're in a tough group, you got a lot of ways out of it. And once you get into that quarterfinal stage, that's when things can happen. Uh, so seeding is going to be an important part of that. Uh, so that is the Olympics draw. Finally, coming up, uh, coming up quickly is the second round of the CONCACAF Champions League, the uh, quarterfinals. Uh, I'll just go through the matchups real quick. Uh, Portland Timbers will be facing Club America, Atlanta United of MLS also facing MLS side Philadelphia Union, uh, Columbus crew of MLS facing Mexico's Monterey, and Canada's Toronto FC facing Cruz Azul. Uh, is there a matchup that you guys are really looking forward to out of these four quarterfinals? I'll give you like I'll give you the one that I'm most looking forward to and the one that could be interesting based on what happened in the last rounds of CONCACAF. Uh, Champions League. I think Atlanta there's Philadelphia. I know that's the boring one, um, but I've really enjoyed what I've seen from Philadelphia in this tournament. I think they're very motivated 
um, to do well as appearing in it for the first time. Um, but then looking at the Columbus Monterey uh, game, uh, we saw Aiden Morris um, have his season ended with a non-contact injury last round. Um, and uh, Kevin Molino is out. Uh, so Monterey is, is, is in a great spot uh, against a, a Columbus team that is going to be a little banged up. So I think those two games could be uh, could be really, really interesting. Yeah, we have three MLS versus League MX matchups, but I think the biggest one is Portland Timbers versus Club America because Club America uh, uh, is Mexico's team. You know, some people in Chivas may think that as well, but they are, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Club America is one of the biggest teams, if not the biggest team in Mexico. To knock them out in the quarterfinals would be an incredible feat for Portland Timbers, who are playing very, very well right now. So if they're able to do that, it would create a situation where possibly, and even you know, given the other ones, you'll have at least two Major League Soccer teams in the semifinals and would guarantee one of them makes the final. So I'm looking at that matchup as the matchup of the of the of the of the round. Yeah. And I think looking at just the Mexican teams in general is, you know, you have Cruz Azul in first, Club America in second, Monterey in fourth. So uh, these are the best teams in Mexico that these that these teams are going up against. Yeah. No, the Columbus Monterey, I mean, Columbus is supposed to be one of the best teams in MLS. I mean they're defending champions like if you think MLS is the league that deserves to be on the world stage, that they can put teams into the final, then you got to have your best team be able to do it. Um, Monterey is a really good test for them. Uh, but yeah, I think the most entertaining one is going to be that Portland uh, Club America one. Uh, Portland, I mean, that's a very competitive team with a long history of uh, good performances and things like this. I think the one thing about the Portland Timbers match that will be, or that leg that will be interesting to see is whether Diego Valeria will be back. He unfortunately just lost his father uh, yesterday. So uh, I'm sure he'll have to depart to go back to Argentina or wherever for uh, any services that needs to be taken place there. So our hearts with him, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that transpires and when it does and whether he would be available for those games, given that he probably would have to travel out of country and then come back and go under quarantine. So we'll yeah. see what happens there, but that will obviously really impact the the tie, especially the first leg. If he is unavailable to play. Yeah. And just looking at the schedule real quick, the Toronto Cruz Azul matchups, Toronto is actually hosting the first leg. Um, I'm not sure where that's going to end up being, being that Toronto is not playing in Canada. Right now, so I'm assuming that's going to be somewhere in Florida. So I wonder how Cruz Azul is going to adjust to that. Because um, if Toronto can get a good result in that first leg, the second leg is scheduled for the Azteca on May 4th. We will see how that goes. But uh, CONCACAF Champions League, the best Champions League in the world. Maybe one of the, if the Super League ever happens, maybe it'll be one of the last ones standing. Look, I bet you, I bet you that they host that first leg at like a Waffle House or something. Just, <laughs> just do some street ball, man. Like, throw some grass down in a parking lot. You know, you know, Waffle Houses have some big parking lots. Just throw those down and and give it a go. There won't be any retaining walls. You may, you know, run into a waffle, but I, I think Concacaf would appreciate that if they were ever to eat said waffle, they would understand. And here's the thing, Concacaf 
is based in Miami. So they know the drill. And the fact is, you know, there's going to be some weird fields in this. And the weirdest one may be wherever Toronto AFC ends up playing. CONCACAF Champions League, catch the fever. All right, that wraps us up for this edition of the podcast. Uh, if you aren't following us already, make sure that you're following us at PodCAF on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, your so any of your social medias. Again, that's PodCAF, P-O-D-CACAF. Uh, you can email us any questions at PodCAF at gmail.com. And make sure you rate, review, subscribe, share, do whatever, tell your friends that you found this wonderful podcast about the most wonderful confederation and the most wonderful sport. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to share where people can find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at jslapessp. And then you can also find me at Speedway Soccer and Broadway Sports Media covering National SC. Uh, we did actually, most recently, uh, last week, we did talk to a uh, a CONCACAF national, a, a player from a CONCACAF national team. We talked to uh, Alistair Johnston um, from Canada and even got a little bit about what it was like getting his first caps for Canada. Nice. Donald? And you can find me at BlazingDW. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N-D-W, uh, available on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, find me there. Also, you can catch me. I am a co-manager at starsandstripesfc.com, which is the SB Nation blog covering the U.S. men's and women's national teams. So you can find me there. Also, run a podcast over there, the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Yeah, make sure you listen, rate, review, subscribe, everything. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave some uh, salacious reviews if you get the chance. Uh, make sure you tell everyone how much you enjoy the podcasts. Uh, really appreciate you guys sticking with us for this edition, and we will be back soon with more in the world of CONCACAF. <laughs>